Hey, church family, it's uh, so good to be with you today. And uh, the elders in our church are continuing to try and provide opportunities for the body of Christ to uh, still be fed the Word of God and to study the Word of God. You know, normally we have our midweek um, Bible studies happening or small groups throughout our community, but uh, today we really wanted to, uh, in, in light of what's going on around us, uh, offer an opportunity for you and your own families to really uh, get together and look, look at God's Word and to study it together. So we're providing those opportunities through these video updates for you that we'll send out midweek. We hope you enjoy those times. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 86. So if you have a Bible, uh, I'd love for you to grab one uh, if you don't, but then open that up to Psalm 86. And we're going to cross-reference this passage with uh, our study in Habakkuk as we've been preaching through that. Um, I actually, Psalm 86 was a, uh, a passage that I asked you to read uh, after Sunday's service, that you would be able to read it and uh talk about that as a family, and maybe many of you have, but we're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at that today a little more and go in depth with, uh, with Psalm 86 and just, just really see uh, how much we can glean from, from David's Psalm of Lament uh, and praise and, uh, and see how it connects to the book of Habakkuk and Habakkuk's Lament and his Song of Praise as well. So I hope this finds you well. Uh, let's go ahead and begin our time with prayer, and we'll get into the Word. Father, it uh, is always great joy to come to your word, God, to glean wisdom and understanding from it. Um, God, we want to, to know you more. We want to think rightly about you. And God, in the face of so much around us, God, so much in, incoming information, uh, we're being bombarded constantly with, uh, with what the world says is right and true. God, in a, day, in a day where media can just say anything and do anything, God, we, we need something that is firm. So we come to your word humbly, God, asking that you would illuminate our hearts to the truth of your word. God, that you would, you would help us understand what is true and right about you. God, that you would help us understand our position with you and, and God, uh, know how deeply we are sinful and in need of you. And God, ultimately, that we would be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus, as we study, as we pray, God, as we, as we invite and yield to the Holy Spirit to do his work in our lives. So we ask you to do that now, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you take your Bible and turn to Psalm uh, 86, I'd appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to just read real briefly uh, from Habakkuk chapter 3. And I want to just kind of briefly catch you up a little bit on, on why this is so important and why these connect together. I'm not going to try to give you the overwhelming theme of Habakkuk again. You can see Sunday service or listen to that uh, content online. But, but as we look at Habakkuk, Habakkuk has come from worry and he's going into this place of now worship. And, and we should want that. We should desire that. And in fact, Habakkuk chapter 3 was used, separated from chapters 1 and 2 uh, as a worship prayer in worship services. So congregations would gather and they would recite this and they would sing this and they would uh, rejoice over this and they would pray this. So there's something really important and really exciting to see what's going on here. What is it that we're supposed to hold on to? What should be the attitude of our heart uh, as we lament, but also as we worship God? Um, so I'm going to read the first two verses of chapter three, just to, to kind of set the stage again and the tone and how it, how it correlates. We'll see it so, so greatly correlate with David's lament in Psalm 86. It says this, a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk, according to the Shagoineth. Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. 
Now, there's a lot of content there. There's a lot going on, and and, and I would encourage you if you want to look at that and check that out. Go go check out our podcast from from this past Sunday, and and uh, and check that that out, or or go watch the video online. Um, but today, I, I want us to kind of tie that in with Psalm 86. So I'm going to turn over to Psalm 86 now, and uh, we're going to read the entire chapter of Psalm 86 together. And then I'm going to break it apart so we can see what's what's happening there, what is going on, and what can we learn. So usually during Bible study, we like to uh, practice three things that just really help us see what's going on in Scripture. We we observe, and then we interpret, and then we apply. So that's observation, interpretation, and then application. That's really a simple way to approach Scripture. What am I seeing? What's going on here? Then then ask the question, what does it mean? What, what does it mean? And then after that question, we say, what do I do about that? Uh, I used to do this with uh, junior hires in a different way. Um, and maybe for some of you that were in 4-H, you would recognize what I'm going to say next, although I use three H's. Uh, it's the head, heart, hands. Uh, head, heart, hands. Head means this. What do I now know? Based on what I've read, what do I now know? A heart. What resonates inside? What what is What is that stirring up inside of me? It's not like necessarily how emotional am I getting about this, but but what is God stirring? What's my heart stirring? Like what what is really happening with it? And then what is that then the next question, hands, what is it leading me to do? So that's a great way to apply scripture, uh, anything you read, but we'll look at that a little bit today as well. And then hopefully uh, when you have a couple discussion questions at the end of this video, you can you can do that uh, with each other or with just by yourself if you're watching this alone. So Psalm 86. Listen, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Protect my life, for I am faithful. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant's life because I appeal to you, Lord. For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea for mercy. I call on you in the day of my distress, for you will answer me. Lord, there is none like you among the gods, and there are no works like yours. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and you or and, and will honor your name. For you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. Teach me your way, Lord, and I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. I will praise you with all of my heart, Lord my God, and will honor your name forever. For your faithful love for me is great, and and you rescue my life from the depths of Sheol. God, arrogant people have attacked me. A gang of ruthless men intends to kill me. They do not let you guide them. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the son of your female servant. Show me a sign of your goodness. My enemies will see and be put to shame. Because you, Lord, have helped and comforted me. All right, so 
a beautiful psalm, very rich. And, uh, and of course, today as we look at this passage, we aren't going to cover everything involved in this passage. Uh, I encourage you to study more on your own. Uh, there are also resources that we have uh, as a church that you can uh, check out and, and look at and read and, and uh, to get more information and, and understanding. Uh, certainly as we uh, are able to gather together better and, and meet down at the church campus, uh, those resources will be a little more readily available. But we want to let you know that we have things that you can use uh, at your leisure. Uh, So let's go through this a little bit. In Psalm chapter 86, we look at the first kind of first four verses and and I I want us to see um, what what is is going on, like like how it matches uh, what's going on in Habakkuk and kind of some major themes in Habakkuk. It says, listen, Lord, and answer me for I am poor and needy. Protect my life. Uh, for I am faithful. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Now, right there, we have a few things that are going on that are really important to understand. David understands that that God has a covenantial people. He has a people for his own possession, right? And that's so so amazing for us. We need to understand and and love that and and live that, that we are God's people. We're chosen and, and dearly loved. David understood that. And God's covenantial grace, his covenantial love for us, he is gathering a people of his own possession. And David was a part of that. He was the faithful. He was what, what even some of the Old Testament prophets would call the remnant, right? There was always a faithful remnant. And, and David, for sure, at times in his life, felt like the remnant. Even, even the people he would consider that were faithful around him became faithless, and they were not loyal to him anymore. And he felt like he was all alone, like he was isolated. He became a remnant. So we see that he says, protect my life for I am faithful. God is like, God, I'm, I'm here. You notice I'm, I'm on your team still. I'm not, not turning from you. I'm faithful. You are my God. Save me, uh, your servant who trusts in you. I, I'm the, God, I'm the one that's trusting in you. I'm the one that is being led by you. I'm the faithful one. Now we see that also in the book of Habakkuk. We see Habakkuk is a prophet who comes to God and says, God, I, I love you. And what's going on around me with my people, God, with your people and, and their sin is grieving to me. Habakkuk was part of that remnant, that faithful remnant. Guys like Daniel were part of that, or Nehemiah, people who, who still loved God, but, but they were going to suffer the consequences of the rest of the nation's sin. So how do we do that? How do we see that, that there's, there's a lament, there's, there's something going on around me that I don't, I don't care for or, or that isn't, isn't comforting that, or that I'm grieving over, that I'm worrying about? David is lamenting the fact that these people are all around him trying to kill him, trying to pursue him to kill him. And he says, God, I'm your faithful. I'm the remnant. So there, maybe there's something you can do for me, right? And, and we see that in Habakkuk. Habakkuk goes to God and says, God, these people are, are sinning all the more. And then similarly with David, remember, remember Habakkuk, he says, God, how long are you going to put up with this? How long? And David kind of says the same thing. He says, be gracious to me, Lord, for I call on you all day long. He says, bring joy to your servant's life because I appeal to you, Lord. He's like, God, how long are we going to go through this? And Habakkuk said, how long, God? And, and God's response, remember, was, I don't know. Uh, how long? How, how long is it going to take you? Now, I don't, I'm not saying that God said, I don't know. Right? He, he knows how long. He knows in his sovereign plan all the timings that are going to take place and when it's going to happen. But to us, we feel like, God, how long is this going to occur? And, and really what God's doing in that time is giving us an opportunity, as we'll see in a few minutes, to really change our heart and change our perspective. So from lament or from worry or from grief, we can rise out of that and, and, and head into humility and then come to a place of actual deep trusting faith in God and trust and, and a faithful worship of God and rejoicing in God. So he goes on. Uh, so first of all, we say he, he's a faithful uh, follower. He's coming to God with his worry and concern. And we see that in the book of Habakkuk 
as well. And he's saying, God, answer and restore. And, and Habakkuk was looking for that as well. The next section of scripture, verses five through seven, he says, for you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea for mercy. I call on you in the day of my distress, for you will answer me. This, this section, it really shows us that he knows God's character. David knows God's character. And, and he's responding to what he's learned and known about God's character, what he's heard about that. We see that in Habakkuk. Habakkuk goes to God knowing his character, and actually he finds what's happening is a little inconsistent with his character. So he goes there wondering, God, what, what have I missed? What do I need to know to reconcile and, and know that what I see happening around me is actually um, part of your plan, and it's consistent with your nature and character? Um, so he goes and says, uh, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my plea for mercy. Right? He's crying out for mercy. Habakkuk cried out for mercy. In your wrath, God, remember mercy. And we'll see that in a few minutes again with David. But he's, got, he's like, God, I know you're a merciful God. I know you're a forgiving God. I know you're abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. Right? Here's that, that notion again, that, that whole premise of hesed love, that covenantal, faithful, steadfast love of God that's, that's enduring, right? That, that David understands. And David is even a, even a part of this hesed love in, in that the, the Davidic covenant was given to David and, and that out of the line of David would come the Messiah, the, the fruition, the fruit of this hesed love, this covenantal love would be Jesus Christ, God's anointed who would save his people from their sins. So David, David understands and he knows God's character and, and he's responding out of hurt and out of anguish and out of sorrow with, with a heart that turns to God and says, God, you're a God of love. You're a God that's abounding in grace, faithful to forgive, ready to forgive, faithful to love uh, all who call on you. And, and he's like, Lord, hear my cry, hear my prayer for mercy. He's asking for mercy. So he knows God's character and he's, he's ready to respond uh, to what he's heard and known and learned about God throughout all of his life. He, he's counting on that. Then we look at the next section, verses 8 through 10. He goes on, Lord, there is, there is no one like you among the gods, and there are no works like yours. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name. For you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. You alone are God. Uh, amazing thing going on here. In this section, uh, what, what David is showing here is that he, he knows of God's covenantal work. Not only does he know of God's character and covenantal character and nature, he knows of God's covenantal work. And, and I love how verse 8 says this. He says, there, there are no, he says there's no other uh, one like you among the gods. And it's a little G gods. Interesting, I was having this conversation with my, my daughter. I, I'm trying to remember the, the TV show or whatever it was on. No, it was a book. She was reading a book for her, her class. And um, as she opened this, this book, it, it, was a, it talked about a, a god had given something to this person. And we stopped right there. It's like, whoa, we're not having any other gods in my house, right? We're not going to have this in my, my home and my books. But really, it was an opportunity. I said, you know, Bailey, this is interesting, isn't it? What do you think about that? And she didn't really understand. It's like, that, is that God? I'm like, no, I, I want you to notice. And because we're reading, right, and we're, we're practicing punctuation and capitalizations and all of those things, she was able to read the word. And I said, well, how do you spell this, this God? Oh, it's G-O-D. Okay, well, 
when we spell God, like our God, our Father in heaven, how do we spell that? Well, it's a capital G. That's right, G-O-D with a capital. How is this one spelled? She's like, well, it's spelled a little g. I'm like, that's right. Little g gods are not big God, right? And that's how we have to remember that. Little g gods could be anything, the, any idol we put in front of God. And, and she, she got to realize that and got to have that, that learning time as well. And of course, we can now bring that into all of her life and all of our lives as we talk about what's really important, what should be the priorities of our life. What, what other little g gods might you be setting up for yourself? And, and, and it's, it's not really supposed to be set up that way. Like you shouldn't have that God in front of you. You shouldn't have that God before you. God, the big g God is the one we want to serve and love. So that verse says, God, uh, Lord, there is no one like you among the gods, the little g gods, because they're all inferior. And it says, and there are no works like yours. Again, David knows of God's covenantial work. And and what was awesome in, in Habakkuk, we saw that there as well, right? Remember he said, he prayed he, in that worship time where he was in lament. He Now he's praying and worshiping in the congregation. He says, revive your work in these years. Habakkuk knew of God's work. He knew of the wonders of God's work, the amazement of God's work. And he wanted to see more of that. He said, God, do, do your thing. Do your thing. And David is praying the same thing. He's like, there's no other God at all that, that would help us at all in times like our God. Our God is the one. So there's so much, so much wonder and amazement with our God. And, there, and, and there's so much wonder and amazement in his works, in, in the works that line up with his covenantal faithful love what David had known about God. It goes on, it says, all of the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, uh, Lord, and will honor your name. And that's that's true. We see that in the book of Philippians where, where eventually every knee will bow and every tongue will confess uh, that, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? Every knee is going to bow. Whether they serve him as God now or Lord now, one day every knee will bow before him as Lord and, and David understood that. He said that all these little g-gods are going to fade away. They're going to be gone very, very soon. Um, and then it goes on and says, uh, and you will honor your name, for you are great and perform wonders, for you alone are God. So we go from this place of knowing God's character. Like, I've heard the report about you. Remember Habakkuk said that. I heard the report about you, and your deeds are amazing. And David's saying the same thing. I know you. I know your character. And, and then he says, I know your works. Revive your works. You're, you are God. You're amazing. And, and knowing and understanding God's character and his work leads him to a place of really reverent, amazing fear, right? And it's, it's that fear that says, you're, you're awesome, God. There's nobody like you. I want to be on your team. You alone are God. It says you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. I want to go to the book of Job uh, really briefly, and I want to read a, a passage of scripture out of there. And I share this on Sunday morning too, but I thought it was so appropriate for us to, to make the connection uh, with this with scripture as well. So uh, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, right? We have Job, uh, and we're going to chapter 42. Verses 1 through 6. Job 42, 1 through 6. Uh, before we get to 42, I want to look at verse or chapter 38. I think I mentioned that this was 39 uh, on Sunday morning, but it's actually chapter 38. This is when, when Job is kind of like, what's going on, God? And then God responds back to Job. I want to read a couple of, of verses out of here because it kind of sets the tone. 
then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He said, Who is this that obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? What supports its foundations? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now that's a glimpse of, it goes on and on. It's an amazing chapter of the Bible. But, but he responds back to Job, says, who, basically, who do you think you are? You, you are not God. You don't have the full understanding that, that you would hope to have. But if you would humble yourself before me, I, I, would, I would still bless you and love you as, as God, right? And so in, verse, in chapter uh, 42, Job comes back with a response to God. And I, I think it's just an amazing response. And it ties into what we're talking about today. Uh, in verses 1 through 6, Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked me, who is this that conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. Really an amazing response from Job, don't you think? Uh, think about that. And, and here's for Job and here's for all of us. We get to that place of complaint or lament or distress. We must humble our hearts before God. We must come to that place where I know and remember God's character. I know God's covenantial work in my life. And that should lead me to humble awe. Humble fear, humble dread of God, but, a, but, but not a dread that just leaves me frightened in the corner, a dread that will increase my faith, a, a fear or an awe that says, wow, God is really God and I have him as my God and, and I'm going to humble myself and in faith trust him. He says, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. I, I'd heard things, you know, I've heard stories but now my eyes have seen you. See, Job said it's not just now about head knowledge. It's, it's my heart is connected to my head. God, you have met me where I needed to be met with my heart. And you have humbled my heart. And, and my heart is soft and pliable and open to learn from you. And, and that's what Job is saying. And it's very similar to David. David says, uh, there, there are no works like yours, God. He's in that awe, that place of awe, that humble awe. And he wants more and he says, God, uh, there's you alone are God. You perform great wonders, but you alone are God. So he's humbled himself there, and he's got that place of awe-filled faith. I, I hope you're there too. I hope you're in a place of even if it's lament, right? That worry or that 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 crying out to God because of your circumstances or situation. I I get it. I I go there too, and and God gets it. And we should be able to say, God, I'm I'm mad or I'm sad and. When we do, though, there's a place that we, we should enter into this place of, of awe-filled humility and in turn leads to awe-filled faith and trust in God, for he alone is God. The next section, if we go back to our passage in, in Psalm 86, uh, in ver verses 11 through 13, it says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I will live by your truth. Give me an undivided mind to fear your name. 
I will praise you with all of my heart, Lord my God, and I will honor, uh, honor your name forever. For your faithful love for me is great. And you rescue my life from the depths of Sheol. Uh, amazing section here of scripture as David continues to go on through this lament and this prayer, this praise of God. Uh, this section, what he, what he sees and knows, he knows God's will and he, and he wants to know God's will. But, but what's interesting about that, see, you and I can say, I want to know God's will. But it's, it's another thing to humble ourselves before him and seek his will and then do his will, right? It, it, it's, it's kind of easy to hear about it. Well, that must be what God wants. But do we really feel that? Do we really wrap our heart around that? Um, it's not easy, right? It's not easy to submit ourselves to God's will. And, and it's, it's agonizing to, to surrender our will to his. It's, it's one thing to I'll submit to God's will. But then that means you and I have to submit and surrender our will to his, I mentioned that on Sunday with, with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? In the book of Matthew, uh, he, he's, he's in the garden and he's, he's there agonizing, sorrowful over, over the task at hand, the cup he's going to have to drink, that he's going to give his life for us. And he goes there and out of his will, he prays, God, I, I don't know if, if there's something else we can do here. I, I'm up for that. I, but then he submits, doesn't he? He says, not my will but your will be done. And that's for you and I. It's, it's one thing. Jesus knew the will of the Father, but he had to submit and surrender his will to the will of the Father. And that can be agonizing for us. It can also be very refreshing, especially if we're in a place where we want to really trust God, the God that we have this awe in, this increased faith in. Say, so you know what, God, I, I don't get it. I don't know it, but I know you're God and I know you're good. And, and I know that your sovereign will is way better than mine. And I'm just going to surrender my, my heart to that. And I'm going to live faithfully and obediently to you. I'm going to worship and rejoice no matter what is going on around me. I'm going to trust in you. He says this though. He says, teach me your way, Lord, and I will live by your truth. So we need to be taught God's way. It's important for us to hear teaching, to listen to teaching, to be taught. But then it goes on. It says, give me an undivided mind to fear your name. It, similarly, we say that in Habakkuk, he, he gets that place of, and, and in Job, we just saw that in Job. He said, I, I, I heard about you, but now I've seen you. How, how do we properly see God from our heart and understand what he wants from us? We give him an undivided mind. We, we lay our own self aside and say, God, I, I'm not going to rely on my own understanding. I'm not going to rely on my, my own preferences, my own hypothesis, my own translation. I'm going to submit to you and, and let you speak to my heart. David says, I'm going to give you an undivided mind so I can properly fear your name. And that's, that's really where it is. When we give God our undivided heart and mind, he puts us in our place, which is a place of, of separation from God because of our sin. But then he, he draws us to himself through the redemption offered in Jesus Christ. That when we have faith in Christ, he forgives us and he, he, he wraps us up in his righteousness and now he draws us near and we're no longer enemies of God, but friends of God. And that, that awe, that humble fear we had of the Lord has now driven us to not only our knees, but to a place of faith in Christ and, and, and a place of security with him. But it has to come from an undivided mind, an undivided heart, where, where there, my heart isn't, isn't allegiant to something else. There's not another priority in my life that is more important. There's not a, a bigger argument that I, I'm ready to win. Uh, there are not other fish to fry. 
that I have to say, God, I trust you. I want what you want in my life. I'm going to give you an undivided heart. He says, I'll praise you with all my heart, Lord. I'll honor you uh, or your name forever. Uh, for your faithful love for me is great, and you rescue me from the depths of Sheol. This exactly what I'm saying, that God has rescued us from the pit of hell. Through our faith in Christ, he has pulled us out of the mire and he's cleaned us up and given us a righteousness that was never able to be earned on our own. He gave it to us because of our faith in Christ and it's Christ's righteousness put on us. He has rescued us from that. He deserves an undivided heart and mind. And with that undivided heart and mind, as we go to him, what we see happening with David is rejoicing. What we see happening with David is worship. He says, I will praise you with all of my heart. See, when we have an undivided heart, then we can go and praise God with all of our heart. How many times, I don't know if it's true for you, it is for me at times, I'll be sitting in, in a church service and, and, and worship will be happening, we'll be singing, and I'll find myself having a divided heart. And it's distracted, right? My, my mind and my heart is distracted on something else, and who knows what it might be. There's all kinds of things it could be distracted by, but I really want to worship with an undivided heart. I want to say, God, all of it, every bit of it, the, the, the hard parts, the, the scarred parts, the baggage, God, the parts of that you've redeemed from sin, I want, I want all of that to be open and exposed to you. So there's nothing hidden back there. There's nothing that I'm, I'm trying to, to, to hide or, or push under the rug. But God, I want, to, I want to expose my heart of you. I want to come to you with a repentant heart, undivided heart, so that I can worship you fully, that my heart would be totally focused on you in worship. David says, I want to know God's will. I want to know his heart. And I want to respond with, with undivided, awe-filled worship and faith. Let's look at the last section of this passage. We see verses 14 through 17. It says, God, arrogant people have attacked me. So he goes back to the scenario, right? God, arrogant people have attacked me. A gang of ruthless men intends to kill me. They do not let you guide them. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the son of your female servant. Show me a sign of your goodness. My enemies will see and be put to shame because of you, Lord. You have helped and comforted me. So, so important as we look at this. Uh, this kind of, this wraps up this section of scripture. Uh, David starts off with, I'm in, I'm in trouble, God. Uh, people surround me. People want to kill me. Uh, I am in trouble. Protect my life. I'm one of your faithful ones, remember? And, and he goes through this whole process, I believe, in his heart of really yielding his heart, of, of knowing God's character, of remembering God's character, of knowing God's covenantial work that, that God's up to and, and, and that God is still sovereign. And not only has he, has he heard the reports, he's seen it with his own eyes. So he's, he's really letting that be become part of who he is. He's humbling himself in, in his heart. He uh, has an undivided heart so he can know God's will and he can know God's heart and he can respond to God in faith. Now see, that's the kicker here. He comes to God and laments. But what he comes away with in that, in that humility as he humbles himself is a place that says, God, I want to respond to you in faith. I, I, I'm just going to trust in you. And, and what he says here, he says, God, arrogant people have attacked me. A gang of ruthless men intends to kill me. They do not let you guide them. But verse 15 and 16, but, but you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. And in verse 16, he says, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give strength to your servant. What's interesting here is he's coming to a place that says, God, what, what I know is that, that this circumstance is tough to face. Certainly tough to face all alone. But God, what, what I really need is for your, your loving kindness, for your compassion, for your faithful love, for your grace and for your mercy to be my strength. I need it to be able to sustain me. And, and that's the truth no matter where we are. You see, the truth is at some point, um, we all face things that we may not overcome. And, and in, that, in the middle of that, God's grace is still enough. God's mercy is still sufficient. And we cry out. I remember yesterday or Sunday, I talked about this when we, when we had the uh, sermon on, on Habakkuk. He, he says, in your wrath or in this disturbance of time, remember mercy. God, remember mercy. And I, I, I challenged us with this, that not only would we remember that God is merciful and we say, God, I want you to give me mercy. Remember your mercy. Get, give unmerited favor to me now. Save me from this situation. But really what, what, it was kind of a twofold plea, wasn't it? God, remember your mercy, but, but I think it was a, a challenge also it's to sing that to one another. Remember mercy. Remember God's mercy. Remember God's grace. Remember God's unfailing love for you. That, that those are the things. And, and knowing that God's unfailing love is great and deep mercy for you is what, what holds you together. It's what secures you eternally. Should give us a hope that will never disappoint. And, that, and knowing that mercy and remembering that mercy will give us the strength that we need to sustain us in any circumstance. Again, that hope and that mercy is like, is like an anchor for our soul. My encouragement for you, churches, is to really lean into that. I want to read one more verse out of Isaiah, and it was the last verse um, I read uh, on Sunday morning as well. Uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 54 and <clears throat> verse 10. I, I think it's, it's so... It's so encouraging, for me at least, it's so encouraging to see like other people lament, other people have sorrow, other people have issues going on. But if we would put ourselves in a place of acknowledging God's character, acknowledging God's covenantial work, knowing who he is, letting him speak to an undivided heart, that would lead us to a place of absolute humility where, where we would be in a place of awe-filled faith and confidence. And then when we cry out for mercy, that mercy of God, would sustain us through it all. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 10. Though the mountains move and the hills shake, my love will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord. I, I would encourage you to underline that verse, circle it, highlight it. I would encourage you to write it down on a three by five note card, to put it up on your mirror at home in your bathroom or, or above on a microwave or, or somewhere where you're going to see it often. Put it somewhere, put it in your car, hanging from your rear view mirror, what, wherever it needs for you to know that in the middle of these times of, of, of foundations being shaken, he says, he will not let us be shaken. His covenant of peace will not be shaken. His love will not be 
removed. And that is a promise we can hold on to day in and day out. Interesting to see a prophet like Habakkuk mourning, sorrowful, grieving, worrying. You see uh, a king like David, a man after God's own heart who, who needs help. He's in distress. Everyone's left him. He's, he's, he's the last faithful remnant around himself, crying out to God that God would comfort them, that God would, would remind, remind them of who he is, and that as they acknowledge his grace and his mercy, they would find comfort in times of need and peace in times of chaos. I love you guys so much. I hope you're having a great week. Uh, we're going to put some discussion questions up here for you to, to answer and to talk about uh, with your family. Just a few, just to go through that. Uh, maybe you have some verses that you it, it made you think of and you want to go check them out. Uh, go look those up as well. I love you guys so much. You guys take care. God bless you. We'll see you soon.